right, just three's a crowd. I'm here today, once again, in the barn. Kelly is in the podcast closet. Who's Kelly? Kelly. Oh, that's <laughs> Kelly on the other line. We're talking together with Kelly. We're here in our places. Kelly, how's it going? Uh, it's it's good. You sounded surprised that I was here. Yeah, I kind of walked myself into a corner with that intro that I have not perfected now after saying the same thing for four years. It's yeah. quite hard to kind of break free from that. So, struggle. I the struggle is real. Yeah. But we'll get there. Um, how is it still like below freezing, like 20 degrees below freezing in South Dakota? It was 23 degrees on Friday. We're recording on a Sunday and everybody lost their goddamn mind. So I went out to go see my uncle and just like everyone on earth was outside. Everyone on earth was driving around. Everyone wow. was aggro as hell. So it was clear that after this this negative streak of uh, degrees outside. How about you? It's still 45 and rainy. Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't know. I haven't actually looked, but all the snow basically is gone, which is nice. Yeah, I, I feel like everybody kind of did the same thing here, too, on Friday. They were like, the snow is melted enough. Everyone do everything, because I left work way earlier than I usually leave. I left at like three, and the traffic was worse than it has been um, when I left at five before. So I was like, what the fuck is going on? Plus, there were so many like road closures. God, it took me forever to get home. Banter, really exciting traffic anecdotes. That's what people come to hear. Well, for. you're so far away now too from where you lived before versus then. So yeah, I'm sure. Oh, God, so I can't far. even imagine how gross that is. It makes me sick to think about you sitting in a car. <laughs> it just uh, that's terrible. What a waste of time. It's not so bad. At least I don't ever go on the interstate or anything. It's oh. just you know, and Selwood's cute, and it's like I still like going down you know to Willigan and it's all. I mean, it's fun for now, but I wonder how when it will stop being fun. That's my big question. Oh, I think I've hit the yeah. wall. I think that it has happened. I think that all of the charm has definitely worn off at this point, especially when I have to go get the dogs because the dogs are still in daycare in Beaverton mm. and it takes me so much longer. It shouldn't be that much longer. It's not that much further away, but God, adding an extra, you know, just 15 minutes. Oh, sure. Oh, man. We're not talking about money today. We are here today to talk about Bob Dylan. Wow. How novel. What a concept. Uh, you and I have gotten together again, once again. To talk about this man and his songs, we create a public playlist every single week that you can listen to, that we listen to all week, and then we get together at the end of the week and we talk about it. We talk about the song, its history, lyrics, all that kind of stuff. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as the Fiat Sedan produced from 1966 to 1974. And this week, we listen to the great Quinn the Eskimo, the mighty Quinn. I mean, the only Fiat I know are the one that Stacia has, and that's 500, and that's not right. Everybody building the big ships and the boats Some are building monuments Others are jotting down notes Everybody's in despair Every girl and boy But when Quinn the Eskimo gets here Everybody'll jump for joy Come on without Come on within that's for another day, Kelly. Uh, in the year 2021, we're only on episode 124. Kelly, this is Quinn, the Eskimo, 1967, 1969. You know, we listened to this song. We've heard this song before. So before I get into the context and we get into the versions that we listen to, how did you feel with Quinn? You clearly, I'm sure you remember it from our Isle of Wight backyard extravaganza back in 2019 when the world was... Um, not like it is today and there was a backyard yeah. and it was summertime but how'd you feel about um this uh this week and the song and the playlist and all that even though we've listened to the isle of white and another self-portrait or whatever and whatever another side of Bob Dylan. This, and this was on self-portrait yeah 
uh, I, I, yeah, I don't remember at all. But yeah, this was fun. It's the, so, I mean, I have a lot of questions, but my initial reaction is I enjoyed it. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> it's just a fun song. It's a basement, you know, you can tell it's a basement tape song. You can tell it's like silly, goofy. Well, yeah, okay. So that's what I was going to say. So like, what's the deal with this song? Was it like the first and only version of it was on the basement tapes? Is that, I mean, like, is that the only time it's been like officially released or whatever? Like that's its official first appearance? This is a great segue, Kelly. Yes, the song was written and first recorded in 1967 for the basement okay. tapes. And yeah, so the take one and two are right now they're on Spotify. Bob Dylan and Columbia have been taking on and off these so they might not be here whenever you're listening to this so hopefully if the entire basement tapes volume 11 of the bootleg series is available which it is right now on spotify you can listen to all of this but if it's not you'll have to figure out something else but um but yeah so these are the only two legitimate versions and even like with we're saying legitimate you know basement tapes are just sitting around garth is just hitting play or hitting record on a recorder and they're just recording. So it's not actually, it's never been studio recorded. The only recordings we have are them in the basement, the two versions we have and our live version for Isle of white. That live version for Isle of white is, um, was put on self portrait in 1970 and it was put on Bob Dylan's greatest hits volume two in 1971. So he's gotten a lot of mileage out of these essentially three versions of the song. And I think it was only on the greatest hits because Manfred Mann recorded this in 1968 so this song was just a silly ditty and it became like a, a life of its own and it, it might be one of bob dylan's like most known songs genuinely people love quinn the eskimo or the mighty quinn more so and it's been covered a billion times um so i think it was not only the basement tapes lore it was a part of the great white wonder which is like the first bootleg series you know the first bootleg quote unquote um, out there in 1969. So this was a, a very early bootleg song that people loved. And so I think that carried into Isle of Wight, carried into the greatest hits, carried into, you know, just the, the lore of the basement tapes. And then it, it showed up for the first time on Biograph in 1985 um, as part of the first, you know, box set, if you will. And so take two is the one that I first heard. And it's the one that I identify with the most, but he's only played the song six times total. So once at Isle of Wight um, in 1969, and then, randomly in um, August of 2002, he played it five times, four times. And then the last time he played was November of 2003 in London, which you can actually see online on YouTube. An excellent, excellent video. Often it's like you're sacrificing the video with the audio quality. You get one that's good or mm -hmm. the other. And this one's excellent on both angles. I think because they just focus on Bob alone and they just stick right on him and he's just playing piano. And he seems to be having a great, great time. So we listened to all of those. We watched that YouTube video. We listened to the bootleg series and, well, um, the basement tapes. And we have heard Isle of Wight before. I like the crappier version, if you will. I say that with, with kindness for Amen. the sidetracks thing. So do I. Because the the equalizing is so out of whack, it makes the bass so much louder than everything else. Yeah. And it's like, 
I don't know. There's something really endearing about that. Not only because it feels so like this is what it sounded like when Garth hit record and they played it back. That's right. what it sounded like, uh, for better or worse. But I like it. It makes every instrument that's in the song a surprise because it's like the organ. The I'm sure it's that Hammond organ or whatever that it's like. It's really subtle. You can barely hear it. And I didn't even realize there was like a dobro or a slide guitar until the very end. I was like, what the fuck is that, a fiddle? And then I was like, oh, that's like a, a slide guitar that's probably been here the whole time or a dobro that's been here the whole time that I didn't even notice until the very end because the sounds finally were quiet enough in the room around it that uh, you could right. actually hear it. And I also find it interesting, the song, and it seems to be every version with the exception of the live versions, no no drums, no percussion of any kind, which is kind of a rarity. So I I don't know, it's just it's a very weird it reminded me a lot of King of France because obviously it's all at the same time and just like it's very silly lyrically. Uh but yeah, I as far as my favorite version, I wouldn't say that it's of the like recorded ones, these are the intentional ones, I would say that that is probably my favorite version. But I I think the Isle of the White one's the you know, the best. Um so much fun. Yeah, it's it's that. It's like again, it's like all along the watchtower where it's like, Oh wow there's a version out there that kind of did something with it. I'm just going to mimic that version. Now there is a little bit of an element of like, um, it might be a little bit more sort of produced in that he did take some of the, the, the reason Manfred Mann ended up recording this is that some of these songs ended up being demos. So they were just kind of playing around mm-hmm. and they were demoing some of these. So the ones that really came out on the 1975 release of the basement tapes, kind of the big songs, this wheels on fire, etc. Um, were they were out there to be real songs. Bob just didn't really know what to do with them. This was one of them. So you can kind of tell that there's a little bit more care than there is with some of the other earlier versions. Of, like uh, uh, King of France is a great example of that one's more hit record. We don't even know the lyrics. We're barely making this shit up. <laughs> right, this right. one, you know, we've talked about before where we wish we had a running tape of the basement tapes to see how this was made. Because at the end of the day, we're still getting a rehearsed song. You know, they're, we're not hearing them put it together, per se. We're just getting Garth hitting record and then hitting stop. And on some level, there is practice and stuff going in here. It's not as like freewheeling as we think. So he, he does take more care with these two songs. I mean, you can hear it. They are fully sort of fledged songs. So when they were listening, well, even in the take one, you can hear Bob say, I'm waiting on you because like, we know how the song goes. So clearly they've practiced it. They had an idea. They had a plan. Waiting on you. Everybody's building big ships and boats. Some are building monuments. That was really cool to have Bob again, just like even talking like they already hit record. Right. Because he would say that before mm-hmm. Garth hit record. So it's funny that he's like, are right. we ready? Are we good to go? He's like, oh, yeah, no, we're good. Great. And then they start playing. And that one, that version's a lot faster and um, has a really cool like organ intro. Beautiful thing. organ it's intro is very incredible. cool. Yeah. So there's so much like even in those two versions of the song, you can tell that not only is a great care, but what he does with a lot of these songs that we're going to get over the years is the take one and take two are pretty drastically different versions of the song, which is pretty interesting because it's almost as if he's workshopping two different ways to do it. But the Manfred Mann um, context is interesting because they got the demo tapes, you know, that he sent out to certain reps. And obviously he was kind of a known entity. He heard this wheels on fire, like objectively great songs. And they were like, we can't understand the lyrics, so we don't want to do it. (laughs) But here they're like, oh, this is cool. And they were like, this chorus could potentially be a banger. 
So yeah. they, you know, that was kind of the reasoning behind it, even though it's kind of a ridiculous song. But, you know, 1960, late 60s, I mean, it's like it is surreal and it's strange and it's probably more well suited for psychedelia that Bob really wasn't a part of. That was definitely popping off in 67, 68. So, like, it fit in well. I understand why this song was a number one hit. Oh, it's perfect. It's a perfect 60s pop song, man. Exactly. For sure. And that song, I mean, the Manfred Mann version is great. I, I really yeah. like it. It was number one for two weeks um, on the UK singles wow. chart and number 10 on Billboard. And yeah, it's crazy. I mean, this song itself has been uh, covered dozens of times. We have a couple of different versions on our playlist. Chris Christopherson um, did did a version for the 2012 Amnesty International uh, Times of Freedom compilation that a bunch of artists worked on. So I like that one just because it's a guitar. So we'll talk about that later, you know, once we get to the playlist. But the Grateful Dead used this for their encore from 1985 to the end of their career until uh, Garcia died. So this was wow. their encore. Uh, the, the British band, the Hollies, Ian and Sylvia, Julie London, Leon Russell, Ramsey Lewis, Fish, uh, Amy Whitehouse did a live version of this with uh, wow. Sam Moore and Paul Weller. It's not online. It was at the, the 14th annual New Year's Eve Hootenanny in 2006. And it is sure. a ramshackle mess of a performance. But but I, this song is yeah, fucking a ramshackle song. So it was kind of fun. Yeah. And like Amy Winehouse singing on it was just bizarre um, to begin with. Uh, to have her there was just really weird. Um, and then recently, Joan Osborne released a record of Dylan covers in 2017 with this on here. So this has become one of those like, I'm going to do a Dylan covers album. I got to do my Quinn the Eskimo. It's like, OK. Did you say Joan Osborne? Joan Osborne, yeah. Like she's, I'm a bitch, I'm a the, right? Or is God with one of us? Is she God oh as one God. of us? I have no idea. Oh, she's God as one of us. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. One of God was one of us. Yeah. That's she her. Uh, again, I, she takes the song seriously, maybe a little too seriously, and turns it into a four minute song. And I think that that's a mistake. I think that's. I agree. Of, it's Huge what mistake. people tend to do is try to make these into bigger things than they actually are. And I think that's kind of what's happening here because at the end of the day, the basement tapes one and two are just slapdash fun songs they're just they're just fun they sound like they're having fun and to create that momentum without a drummer is also great so Levon Helm is not mm -hmm. here at this point so and it's not that like they've traded off drums Manuel does a Garth uh, not Garth but um I think Danko's on drums at some point even Robbie's on drums so they've been playing around with that on a lot of songs that we'll get to but it's so cool you forget that there's not drums because it's such mm -hmm. a propulsive song I love it um, one song that does have drums in it is his cover in 2003 in London. Mm -hmm. That was a surprise to me. I've never I had never heard the live version and it was great. Yeah, I think that might be my that's like definitely I don't know. It's hard. They're all really good. For once, there's not like a version that really stands out as being worse. Uh, and the video, that performance, the the November 2003 in London, mm -hmm. is so cute. Oh, my God. Like It makes me really bummed He's out so that we didn't get to see him. I know. I know. Every time I've been looking at these videos now, I'm just like, I swear to God, Bob, if you go, I'm going to be furious. But the moment <laughs> we can go to a show, it's yeah, no matter where it is. Like I'm more solidified in in like I'm going no matter where or when. Mm -hmm. So d d if he doesn't go to a West Coast tour or something, we have to figure something out, Kelly. So we got a road yeah. trip somewhere, do something. But uh, I mean, it's a great excuse to take a trip anyway. But totally. um, yeah, I, I just I always he one I gotta say not important at all. But the man still has like all of his hair, which is very impressive. It like well, I don't... this was 2003. Yeah, that's a while ago. But still, like I mean, even pictures of him more recently, like yeah, he mostly has all of his hair. It's very impressive. Mm -hmm. But uh, and then he's playing the piano 
beautifully the whole time and see, like i mean we're in full murder bob voice but it like still doesn't take it away from the funness of the song somehow which is impressive and he like his little bow tie and he like gets mm-hmm. into it while he's playing the piano and then he has his little papers like i'm assuming some sheet music but also just like notes and stuff and his harmonica is just like laying there on top of the mixer for the piano he's just like i'm gonna play the harmonica now which is great because that's not in any other version either i don't think and yeah it's just so worth watching. And he does turn it into four minutes, but it doesn't feel like a serious sloggy four minutes. It feels like this is just more fun for the song. Oh, and I love that he like almost raps the lyrics. He speeds them up so much. And it's just, it's interesting that he stretched the song out an extra two minutes, but spoke all the words faster. Oh, because probably because we needed time for the piano solo and stuff, which we have to do on Isle of the White too, which excellent guitar solo edition. Well, and really there's your, adds to the song. And there's your band, you know, playing with him. So they're allowed to, to actually like make the songs that they were playing around in the basement into real songs. So it's like, right. you're never going to go wrong with the band in general. So having them actually playing at full force is, is always great. That's why I'll avoid is like, maybe the song choices are not that great and it's a little dated, but in Bob's voice, obviously you didn't really care for, uh, you know, that era of Nashville skyline country crooner, but, voice, but, but it's great. He sounds great on this. Yeah. He sounds great on the, on the, um, mighty quinn song for some reason i know some of the other ones are sounded like terrible but yeah i don't know every time you play he must really like this song which is surprising that he doesn't play it more often but maybe it's one of those things where it's like i don't want to ruin this for myself i don't, I don't know. see i don't know that's it's interesting you would think that he really likes the song because i would say i don't know if he does really like the song because i mean you don't play it for but 30 he seems years. to have fun when he plays it but he only played know. it six times like why didn't he play it well, 600 times? Because he probably times? forgets the man has a deep catalog <laughs> i know <laughs> but some songs come out of nowhere i mean he played Wiggle Wiggle hundreds of times. He played Silvio, another oh, dumb man. song, hundreds of times. It's like that because he could have taken the fun of those songs, like how bouncy and fun they are, and did this instead. And maybe he didn't realize that till 2002. But like, ah, oh, God damn it, Bob. God damn it. <laughs> it's rough. But I, I'm, I'm glad that it exists. I'm glad that he actually played it again. I mean, honestly, if he never did it again, I wouldn't have been shocked. But I love it. So I recommend people go out and check out the video of that while it's still online because it's fucking great. I like to go just like the rest. I like my sugar sweet. But jumping cues and making haste just ain't my cup of meat. Everyone's beneath the trees feeding pigeons on a limb. But when Quinn the Eskimo gets here, all the pigeons gonna run to him. Come on without Speaking of live versions, Kelly, you typically will, for certain songs, regale us with your own uh, 30-minute learning lesson. (laughs) And uh, I don't know. I don't know if you did or not. I mean, I assume you're grabbing the guitar right now, so I'm assuming it's a yes. You you did, in fact. (laughs) You were, in fact, ready for this um, exact moment. I did. I did play a 30-minute. I did do a 30-minute lesson, courtesy, as always, of DylanCords.com. DylanCords. Yeah, so this... The um, I, I, I always want to say like the official or recorded or studio take that's not applicable here at all with the, the no. basement tape take two or whatever the official quote version is in the key of E major. Um, I, I realized, I mean, I've realized this before, but Dylan loves open chords and capo to change the key. He doesn't really fuck around with playing lots of, I mean, especially not until the later times, but like he just, he loves those open chords and it, the easiest way to change the key of a song is throw a capo on there. So this is the key of E, but with a capo on the fourth fret for standard tuning. And then on the Olive White version, he does in the key of E major so that you put your capo on the second fret. But uh, so Mm. yeah, it's only, it's only three chords. 
Um, so you would think that would be pretty easy for me to pull off. Let's see if we can do it. So it's just C major, F major, and G major. Uh, everybody building big ships and boats. Are ships and boats the same thing, though? Anyway. Some are building monuments. Others jotting down notes. Everybody's in despair. Every girl and boy. But when Queen the Eskimo gets here, everybody jump for joy. Come on with that. Come on with it. You ain't seen nothing like the mighty Queen. There you go. <laughs> that, see, you're, you're singing it now. Yeah, you gotta try. And then, you're basically oh. a punk guitarist here's here's the the a a major version it's the same thing but with a major oh uh, mm. sorry the key uh, the the chords are actually e <laughs> e major oh, wow. uh okay. d and uh what's the other one <laughs> a maybe that's that sounds wrong let's see whoa that's not right guys there we go something ish yeah so a d and e there you go anyway incredible it's almost a song almost real close uh i love that it's all three chords i love that bob is the og punk just like oh totally just you know proven proven once again not only lyrically but proven you don't need all this silly shit to make a great song Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to be remembered forever you don't need it my friends. He just doesn't use power chords. That would be even easier. That would be. I mean, yeah. Well, that was the that was the <laughs> modification for the punks. It was just like, oh man, a chord on a capo. Nah, too hard. Let's do <laughs> just straight up power chords. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> same sound, same to everything. A little more screaming. A little. But this could be a punk song. I'm. I digress. <laughs> Kelly, this song, this song is a song, and it's an it's a there's a little bit of a narrative to it. Um. Is there anything happening in this song that you can see? Is there anything that um, identifies it from just being a bunch of random syllables on a page? Uh, and words. Not that I can tell. I mean, it just like, here's some words. And then also, hero figure coming in. Quinn, here he is, guys. Woo! And sometimes I just feel like it's a celebratory thing. But then you look at the lyrics and sometimes it makes people sleepy. And I don't know what to think about that. And sometimes he feeds. I just, yeah, there's nothing going on here. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I mean, it's, I mean, just, you know, taking the words, I mean, we start out, people are in disarray. Everyone's in despair. So, like, I don't know what these people are doing, but everyone's waiting for Quinn. But it's not really clear also that Quinn is like, so we have a narrator, though. There is an I character, which is interesting. But we don't, we don't, I don't know if the people know about Quinn, but it's clear that our narrator does know about Quinn um, because he's talking about Quinn coming. And, you know, saving the day. And then the narrator is like, I'm just like you, bro. Me and you are the same people. I like my sugar sweet. Like, I'm not weird. But these people are fucking weird. Because he's like, everyone out here is feeding pigeons by the tree. But the moment that Quinn shows up, they're just going to go to Quinn. Like, again, I don't know if he's being bitter. Like, I can't tell what that's supposed to mean. Because he is he is drawing a distinction between him or the I, you know, the I character, me, Um and the rest of the people. And then we close with like everybody's like packed in somewhere. And I don't know if that's like metaphorically or if it's like literal. But then like Quinn comes back and then everyone goes to sleep. 
And, you know, just like last week with death um, is not the end. I was like, is this a threat? Like, is, is everybody's gonna doze a six feet under like it's just like yeah. jonestown like you're gonna like drink the kool-aid and you're gonna die uh, like heaven's gate like we're going to Haley bop like what are we what is this so i mean in terms of narrative that's kind of all i got right it's like people are in despair and there's this figure who's this hero figure right who's gonna come and save him so there's a couple of uh, tell me what you think about these theories out here. But there's a couple of theories as to what the song is about. Number one, this song is about nothing. So Bob Dylan, this is probably the most compelling one. Bob Dylan in Biograph, he says when talking to Cameron Crowe uh, for the interview for each one of the songs, um, he says, uh, Quid the Eskimo, I don't know. I don't know what it's about. I guess it's some kind of nursery rhyme. I mean, that that totally fits. I, this is like a weird nursery rhyme thing. I mean, if mm. you think about children's nursery rhymes, isn't there one about crows in a pie and like all kinds of shit? They're all yeah. weird. They're all weird, man. Well, they're they're not only weird, surreal, but they're also dark. There's like a yeah. dark element to it that like, you know, the kids like don't know that is dark. So you can kind of which I think this is too. like, again, is the everybody's going to doze a threat. Well, a kid would be like time for bed. And it's like, no, that's like Grim Reaper coming. Like mm. it's dark potentially, but maybe not. Um, so for me, I think that this is just silly stuff. I side more with the nothing than anything else. But it is weird because, you know, anybody who's written anything knows that, like, influences come from everywhere. So it's a mixture of nothing and kind of everything, right? It's uh, So there's, there's a couple of other theories about specific people as well. One of them is Gordon Quinn. He's most famous for being the producer of, of uh, the documentary Hoop Dreams about um, – Chicago basketball players, like uh, high school kids who try to go to the NBA back in the 90s um, that won a ton of awards back then. But he gave um, help editing to Bob Dylan's movie called Eat the Document in 1971. So some people think that this song is about how great Quinn is, uh, Gordon Quinn, okay. who helped edit his movie, which, again, if you're if you're seeing this as like Gordon Quinn, it's very flattering, you know everybody's building the big ships and boats. Some are building monuments, others jotting down notes. Everyone's in despair, every girl and boy. But when Gordon Quinn gets here, everyone's <laughs> going to jump for joy. You know, it's like, who doesn't want to be Gordon Quinn in that moment? Totally. It's great. Anybody named Quinn, Quinn, the medicine woman, right? Oh yeah. Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. Wow. Nobody said it's about Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. But anyways, if this is about anybody in particular, this is a very fun, like, thanks, Gordon. I wrote a song about you. I would love for someone to write this song about me. It's pretty cool, right? Because Quinn's kind of objectively the coolest person in town, for sure. Or the darkest person in town. Who knows? Maybe it's a threat again. Uh, another per another theory is that it's about Sheriff Larry Quinlan, who was the guy who arrested Timothy Leary in 1966. Oh. Timothy Leary, of course, our right. LSD proselytizer, right? Yeah, I mean, he was like a, a heralded scientist that worked with dolphins primarily um, to, mm. like, try to figure out their speech patterns and communication and stuff like that. But, yeah, it quickly turned into, let's give the dolphins acid. Acid is the best. Let's all do acid. Well, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I I, I, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> often recite the, the Timothy Leary quote of question, think for yourself, question authority, because I think that's a, a great line. But, like, <laughs> the it guy is. was like very much a, a little bit of a crackpot but uh yeah anyway Timothy yeah. Leary. <laughs> well I, th I think we know now that maybe too much lsd is a bad thing but back then it was like open up your mind but i think that it gets to the bonkersness of the song so like i don't i think it's silly the larry quinlan thing is really dumb but it makes you think about lsd and it makes you think about 
maybe someone's on some drugs writing this song, you know, yeah. because there's a moment when Quinn the Eskimo gets here, all the pigeons are going to run to him. Why are the pigeons running when they could fly? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that maybe is my biggest question. The greatest takeaway from this episode should be, what's wrong with the pigeons? That's Ooh. what I want to know. Man, if you've ever been to Europe, I have seen so many mutilated pigeons. So oh, no, many. No, no, no. Well, because, like, I don't know that... Well, I mean, I'm sure in New York and stuff, maybe bigger cities, they're like a huge pigeon problem, quote unquote. But there's so many anti-pigeon measures everywhere in Europe, like spikes and all kinds of stuff. Um, So many footless, so many fucked up birds, so many fucked up birds. Anyway, let's get away from this subject. The reason why we ended up doing this song was a line that's not in the song. Uh, Cats meow and a cow's moo. I can't recite them all. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was losing my mind because in none of the versions until Isle of Wight, which I thank God you said something because it was one of my favorite things I've ever heard in my life. But uh, there's there's no cats meow. There's no whatever. And I was like, what is he saying? None of the every single site I found the lyrics for don't have this line. But again, Dylan Cords, Dylan Cords, what's up? Has the line, which I wrote down because I just listened to it. I was like, I think he's saying Lampsgate and Gunny do. And that's what Dylan Cords wrote down. I was like, I'm great. This is great. <laughs> so that's what the line is. I don't know what that means. But but for some reason, the official lyrics are Cats Meow and, and Cows Moo, right? The only thing I can think this comes from is the Isle of Wight version in which Bob says, I'm going to try to phonetically quote this as accurately as I can cat's mew and a cow's meow Well, clearly, this is a case right here of Bob did not have that cat's meow line when he wrote this. He definitely, all iterations, was a lampgate, a gunny do. I can't recite them all. Okay. A gunny do is not a thing. A lampgate is just what you put onto a like a street lamp outside. Like, if you just type in oh, lampgate, sure. it's like, oh, yeah. But, yeah, this is a case of him later writing it out and being like, what the fuck is a gunny do? <laughs> um, uh, cat's meow, cow's moo, whatever. And so he tried it out at there. and um, Yeah, but then... What does that mean? Right. So, that, again, there's your LSD. There's your fucking high. And then, of course, at the end where we, we've talked about this before, but at the end of the song without everybody's going to doze, you know, doze. This is slang for drugs, too. So, like, and slang for dose as well, like close to dose. So I think that there's a little bit of that, too. Again, I don't think he's specifically channeling it, but I'm saying the Timothy Leary thing really makes you yeah. think. How much weed are they smoking, which is a lot. I mean, that is confirmed for sure. Uh, Could this song also be about Denzel Washington? That's right. In Chronicles, Bob Dylan writes, quote, on the way back to the house, I passed the local movie theater on uh, Pirtania Street where the Mighty Quinn was showing. Years earlier, I had written a song called The Mighty Quinn, which was a hit in England, and I wondered what this movie was about. Eventually, I'd sneak off and I'd go see it. It was a mystery suspense Jamaican thriller with Denzel Washington as the mighty Xavier Quinn, a detective who solves crimes. Funny, that's just the way I imagined him when I wrote the song The Mighty Quinn, Denzel Washington. (laughs) Denzel Washington is Police Chief Quinn. I'm in the way. Robert Townsend is Moby. When there's trouble in paradise, 
you ain't seen nothing like the mighty Quinn. I mean, obviously he's joking, but uh, Robert Ebert said 1989's The Mighty Quinn is one of the best movies of the year. It has an 88% on Rotten no Tomatoes. Shit. But the most compelling uh, person, and probably is the one, if outside of nothing, is the one I lean on the most, is there's a movie from 19, 1960 called The Savage Innocence, um, starring the actor Anthony Quinn. Um, this movie is by Nicholas Ray. Nicholas Ray also directed Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, with James Dean, Johnny Guitar, in a lonely place with Humphrey Bogart, so he's a pretty famous director. But he's got a co- countercultural streak. So the movie, The Savage Innocence, um, to take the tagline quote, an Eskimo who has had little contact with white men goes to a trading post where he accidentally kills a missionary and finds himself being pursued by the police. That's the tagline, if you will, of what the of what the movie is about, and it's basically thematically. Uh, the consensus is that it doesn't quite do a good job of it, but it's trying to make the point that cultural encroachment upon native peoples is seen as progress. And of course it's not, Mm -hmm. it's all within the eye of the beholder. So trying to make that point, I think in 1960 is probably a little strange and it's probably weird to watch, but it's kind of, it was panned when it first came out, but is now kind of seen as something of a masterpiece. It was actually filmed most of it in um, the Canadian Arctic as well. So it's got that element of it too. And, um, Bob Dylan, though, when he was asked about this, because this kind of became the prevailing theory, what do you think Bob Dylan said? He said he never saw the movie, (laughs) of course. But Robbie Robertson (laughs) later said, uh, no, everybody was wondering what the fuck we were doing in the basement. So Howard Alk, who worked on um, Eat the Document, but also Don't Look Back, uh, came with his wife, uh, Albert and Sally Grossman. Albert Grossman Mm -hmm. was still Bob Dylan's manager at this point. Um, They all came to Big Pink to see what's going on. Uh, they could see that we were having too much fun. We had just recorded Quinn the Eskimo with Anthony Quinn in mind. He portrayed the memorable the memorable character Enoch the the Eskimo in the 1960 film The Savage Innocence. So more than likely, they watched that movie or oh, they yeah. talked about that movie. Obviously, it was years before, so maybe it came out on video. Who knows why? And Bob clearly is just like, I'm so high. I don't even remember, right? <laughs> um, so I think that that's like the most compelling. If we believe Robbie, which again, do we believe Robbie? I don't know. Um, but I think that that's probably probably right, right? That sounds good. But, man, until we go in there, I have full authority. I can let you go. All I do is fill in a form, sign a report, and Inuk doesn't exist anymore. Inuk is dead. But there is only one Inuk. Inuk is here. He has no wish to be dead. They will have to punish you because the rules are stronger than they are. The rules have grown stronger than those who made them. Go back. And that gets us to Eskimos in general. The only thing that I can see that deals with uh, the idea of Eskimos in any way is the line, but guarding fumes and making haste or by jumping cues and making haste, which, again, I don't know what either of those things mean. Uh, It ain't my cup of meat. So a cup cup of meat, that's a very... um, strange way to put things but one of the stereotypical things about arctic peoples and about eskimos in general if we're going to use it in a very stereotypical savage type way is that they're you know meat eater they're they just eat raw meat so that's the only thing that i can think otherwise like this could be stavros the greek you know what i mean like why why is it quinn the eskimo i don't i don't really know yeah, so I guess it's now commonly accepted that, that Inuit's definitely the preferred term, and just so anybody, that is a plural, the singular is Enoch, right? Um, so you wouldn't say Inuits, you would say a singular Enoch, Inuits, the plural. 
Yeah. So indigenous cir- circumpolar people. So it's like right. all the, the ICC, very northern, right. near the North Pole group of indigenous people. So it's like uh, Siberia, Alaska, northern Canada, and Greenland um, is considered that region. So, so yes, just like you were saying, I never heard this before. I I didn't know where the word Eskimo came from or not, but. And it's totally debated among scholars. And now it's come to find that etymologically, however you conjugate that word, the etymology of it is is pretty debated. And it's actually come to find out that that word, the definition of it meaning to eat raw meat or whatever, is probably wrong. Um, it's like a bad translation of an Algonquin. The more what we think of now as of like the 70s accurate version is either uh means a person who who laces a snowshoe or possibly people who speak another language. So that definition or translation of person who eats raw meat is, is probably wrong. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it's definitely become, apparently because of popular culture, even though it's something that I was completely unfamiliar with, uh, certainly a pejorative term because it's, it's supposed to mean like savage, right, yeah. or other. And, and it's but it's one to one analogous, I think. And maybe even um, Indian is, yeah. is more offensive, I would think. Uh, but the Indian Native American thing, right, because Indi- it, it's all to do with the colonialist kind of thing, too. Right. It's like so we put this word on these people. We probably heard them say a word. We, you know, being like whatever the conquering white people were at the time. Uh heard a word that sounded like that and just ascribed a definition and decided to call the, all those people that and just like the way that Indian, oh my God, I decided I'm in India. So I'm going to call these people Indians, which is totally fucked up. And so now we say Native American. So I guess that the preferred term amongst at least the, the Canadian um, Inuit, also, I guess the ones in Alaska, like the, they specifically are called Yupik and there's different, there's like also yeah. the Aluian people too. So it's all, it's just like we have like different tribes and stuff of Native Americans. It's all very similar in that regard. But yeah, the preferred term now is Inuit, just as the way that Native yep. Americans is the preferred term, though official like government documents and stuff still say Eskimo, much like a lot of ours, like still say Indian Treaty or whatever. So it's like, you can't really eradicate the word because it's important for legal definitions to ascribe citizenship to and like all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so so Inuit's the way to go versus Eskimo. The Eskimo just has always felt the same way as as Indian. It feels it feels antiquated. And if it always felt for me like mm-hmm. there was just a history behind it that Because you're talking about a huge region with so many diverse intercultural things that like you can't really just throw this blanket on the there. land from Siberia all the way to Greenland. It's the largest landmass with like a conception of of like one group if you will living inside of it like to try to blanket one group of people inside is by far the largest and it's like of right. course you're not going to be able to succeed with that so you know eskimo is yeah i mean obviously it's you know the the eating the raw thing is probably incorrect the netter of snowshoes right is probably right too but yeah it's not only just white people like seeing something and being described it because a lot of white people got information from native people like lewis and clark never would have been able to go anywhere if they didn't know the names of the people that they were going to meet how to say hello to them how to you know disarm them not like literally but like so that they'll like talk to them right and not run away from them so they learned all those things from native people as well so the cree word is the word that he you know he eats it raw and um nativelanguages.org like looked into that they were like it might not be totally wrong because if you think about it from a cree perspective if they came across these people they would have been like what is unique about them you know describing them eating raw flesh which is something that they did mm. you know they ate seafood and it was some of sometimes it was raw that was something they did not do so they're like it actually makes more sense because it would be like somebody sure. their their um analogy was it's somebody from germany going to france and the first thing they think is we're going to name these people people who wear shoes 
because it's it's the same thing as saying these people like if if the definition is the netter of snowshoes what does that mean they had snowshoes like it would not be a defining characteristic the way that eating meat would be however then they were like it's probably none of those things and it's probably that there was a word back then that we as language goes on and changes hands we start to cut out syllables and stuff and they brought up the example of the sioux the sioux like the our sioux which is a a bunch of you know smaller nations inside of the sioux umbrella is the second syllable of an ojibwe word so we've lost now the meaning of that whole Ojibwe word by taking out a small mm-hmm. chunk of it and calling them the Sioux. And so they were like, that's what probably happened to this too. Um, which I just, I find all of that so interesting and I, and I like it. It makes me feel a lot better looking into it because it's not pejorative. Like there's so many out there that are like, you know, fucking um, dog eaters and the, the big bellies, the gross venturis. Like there are ones out there that are just like, mm. right. Like there's no other way to interpret other than like, wow, that's super fucked up. And you're thinking of them less than human. Like that, and that's the problem. Yes, totally. And that, but that ICC thing, uh, you know, I come down a little bit differently though, because the ICC, that that court that that right. brought everyone together to choose Inuit, there was a good contingent of them that that didn't want Inuit because especially the UPEC people that those two those two nations are quite large right. and now they're all under the the Inuit umbrella which is not very descriptive so you're basically trading one thing Eskimo for Inuit which also doesn't describe much and the US calls them native Alaskans which is not just which is not just the Inuit and the UPEC and the Alouette but right. also Tlingit and, and and people that don't that have nothing to do with Eskimo people or, or Inuit as we define it. And it's only for legal purposes. The moment they go into Canada, they're back to being Inuit or Eskimo or whatever. And it's like, it doesn't mean much of anything. And I, and I don't know, it's kind of hard. And I think it's more of a scholarly thing than anything else. I think us calling it Inuit is probably the most respectful way to, to like go about talking about it. But I get it from like a, from a scholarly standpoint, like they're, they're dealing with like Neo Eskimo, Mm -hmm. like paleo Eskimo. Like these are words like, that they have to contend with. And they're like, we don't want to say necessarily paleo Inuit, because if we're in you pick country, then they're going to see that word just like Eskimo as offensive. And then how do we balance out? Like we want them to help us and be part of our research and stuff. We're, you know, the days of us writing about these people as conquerors and colonials, you know, on high is over, right? Any, any way to do this has to deal with native history and oral tradition and and respecting people and it's like how do we respect them except for being incredibly specific which i think for for scholarly purposes they'll probably do right every community has its own way of defining itself but how do you talk about so much land and people it's wild Yeah, yeah it's so interesting i had no idea me either it's just one of those words that you're like you don't use right and and i agree with it i mean i agree Mainly because it's too vague and all-encompassing, but also because it's like it has a history of you were told that this is your name. And it's like, well, it's not my name. I think that's the biggest problem, just like with the word Indian. It's despite what the translation of it, despite all that stuff, it's like the people who came in and ruined your lives, committed genocides, destroyed everything, colonialized your whole life, gave you that name. So it's, you know, it's like... I mean, this is probably not a one-to-one, and you can correct me, but it's like, you know, slave owners... Slave masters naming the people they owned, which is so disgusting. And it's like, you don't want to take that name. You want that off of you, right? So it's like, I totally get like you it's it's not a one-to-one because they weren't enslaved necessarily but although some were right no, i don't no, know no. your history guy <laughs> no yeah they, they, well they also had slaves too i mean yeah. native people had slaves as well yeah no so it, it all of it's complicated that's the whole i think that's really the whole thing that i it's all 
complicated because even the names, most of the names were direct translations from them. Like it, it wasn't even we the white people came and conquered everything. There's no denying that. But the names given for the most part are not they we you know lewis and clark Hart sitting there just naming people sure you know those people were named well before now again the that goes back to the french and that goes further back as well but it's native people calling native people stuff too you right. know and it's it's all connected but for the most part beyond some like anglicized versions of it there's a lot that's right you know names are typically correct especially after certain points of contact as well, like, you know, the Shoshone and stuff like that out here in the West, like that's their name. Like that's right. what they call themselves too. But you want to be specific. I think that's what I want to drive home, you right. know, because Quinn the Eskimo, what does that even mean? Which I guess gets us to the next point, which is uh, who is Quinn the Eskimo? Uh, is this song about Jesus? Oh, of course. I don't know. Can't have a conversation about Bob Dylan without asking about if this song is about Jesus. I'm sure there's a contingent of people out there that really love the Jesus. I don't think it's Jesus, but I do think it's a messianic figure for mm. sure. I mean, come all without, come all within. You'll not see nothing like the mighty Quinn. I mean, oh, it sounds awesome. He sounds like fucking Conan the Barbarian coming in and like, <laughs> we're going to kill the egg monsters. I don't know. What is, what, is, what is Conan fight? I don't know. Didn't we watch Conan at a weird Wednesday? It's definitely one of the ones I fell asleep during. Mm. It w- is it aliens? Do they fight aliens? Oh, no, like, I don't I, think I don't so. I, well, because it's set in like ancient greece i've no i've literally we, no it idea. was it, it was absolutely a schwarzenegger vehicle that we saw a weird wednesday so i'm thinking it's that oh i was drunk for a lot of those so i don't or maybe it was Beastmaster. wait that ooh, wasn't arnold that, was it Ooh, it might be i don't think but so. they both were oh, man, do you I think he could have been both i mean could have been both he could have been both. Yeah, I don't definitely, know. Whatever. Definitely the biggest one. And the final one for me is just more of a park bench type of thing. These, uh, The Mighty Quinn is just another character in the whole rep- repertoire of basement tape mythology, along with characters like Tiny Montgomery, Reuben Remus, Miss Henry, Katie, uh, Bessie Smith, Homer, Henry, the King of France, all these random people that show up that are just part of the mythology, baby. You know, he's writing a story. These are just short vignettes of all this crazy shit that happened in 1967. That's probably the best way to think about it is just another fun song. Um, Not too much to look into, people. Just enjoy the song. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think the Anthony Quinn explanation is probably the most correct one. You know, through a filter of, like, drugs and time missing out of your memory (laughs) that, like, this is what he came up with. But, yeah, the general, like, idea of the song just being everybody's really bummed out. Quinn's going to make it right. Everyone's doing something terrible. Quinn's going to fix this. And it is a good feeling. It's like, yeah, Quinn, come and save our day. Um, so does this song work in 2021? I mean, I guess, yeah, right? People keep on covering it. I mean, people I guess, keep... yeah, because we like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, true, true. <laughs> I tried it. Like, it's hard to separate your own biases because it really, yeah, you know what? I don't care. It's probably almost always going to come down to whether or not I like the song if it works, which doesn't seem uh, like musically with integritist that's not how you conjugate that so it feel, feels weird but like i don't know the fact that people keep rediscovering it keep bringing it back keep making their own versions of it i think yeah is a testament to the survivability of the song yeah. so i would say yes yeah i don't have any deep long explanation for my feelings either it's yeah this song this song still inexplicably works um although in, in a weird way too i has it ever worked i don't really know it's like yeah. it's a weird out of time one where it's so silly and so many of his other silly songs from the basement tapes 
are consigned very much to the basement tapes and we will talk about a lot of them but we're talking about them later on supplementals and stuff for a reason because they for some reason they didn't get the luck of the draw to be covered by Manfred Mann and for people mm-hmm. to imbue a lot of like importance or have a catchy ass chorus. There was just a few things going on right with this song that still go right with songs. And I think you can listen to this and be like, that's a banger chorus. That's a cool, like turn of phrase. That's you get cool. the hook in there and it's a solidly good pop song because of Manfred Mann, right? Like they, mm-hmm. but it already mm-hmm. had that momentum. You have a really strong beat achieved without drums. Like we mentioned, and it just has a good motion to it. And I think that it, it happened at the exact right time at the end of the, you know, like the, the psychedelic era. Yeah. And so where we gave more leeway to pop songs, having abstract concepts or weirdo shit going on. Um, but I mean, you can still find that a pop today. So I don't want to kind of like say, you know, we've lost the ability to do that kind of stuff. But every once in a while, a song slips in. That's like, what? And you don't really pay attention to it. It's just kind of like white noise. And you're like, yeah, that chorus, let's get it. So this, this was destined for that. So that's why it still works for sure. And it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, go watch that Amy Winehouse video because it's just a sloppy sing along. It's basically what's become of like great songs like I Shall Be Released, which is another basement tape song that for some inexplicable reason or knocking on heaven's door, like these songs that are just kind of eh, mediocre at best become sloppy sing alongs that we all sing along together and we all love and we all enjoy. And for some reason, everybody knows the lyrics. But if you, again, watch that 2006 performance, these people have never interacted with this song possibly in their entire life and they have no idea what the words are and them bumbling through it the whole time i'm like they're bumbling through i'm like yep that's a, that's about right uh, that's how the song deserves no less than you bump barely making it through and that's why it still fucking works because they're still playing it and people still don't know what to sing and they're making stuff up and it's brilliant right. it's it's still brilliant it's great Kelly, did you know that we are a real podcast out there in the world? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Snap it to a sign on the window. <laughs> um, we have stuff. So, how do you snap into a sign on the window? I just like, have this weird vision of somebody chewing on a glass. Uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Don't chew on glass, everybody. Oh, what is that uh, block party song? Like drinking poison, like eating glass? Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Block party. Yeah. Drinking poison, like eating glass. And you got to do so the good. thick British glass. The British thing. Glass. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um. Anyways, uh, this is not a Block Party podcast. This was a Bob Dylan one. And we are intermittently on the internet. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on uh, Twitter. You know, we're back season five. We're still in season five. Wow. And if you want to if you want to give us money, I remember it again, Kelly, so you don't have to do it. Um, you can give us money at Patreon, uh, $1, and you can sponsor an episode. So... You know, that would be on, wonderful. Get on Please that, guys. That. But if you want to just enjoy us, we're free. You can listen to us for free. And if you want to listen to all of our all of our music, uh, well, we not our music. I mean, Kelly does play, but I'm not playing. But you, you know, by our music, I mean our playlists, our amazing playlists. You can find that all the time. You can search for "See That My Playlist Is Kept Clean." That's going to be live, so in real time, people. So it could be anything right now. Or you can find our show notes at SOTWpod.com and you can find the playlist for this and listen to it or save it or do whatever the hell you do with playlists. I don't know. Kelly, this week's playlist <laughs> was pretty was pretty good. A lot of a lot of Quinn. Uh had a lot more covers. I had the Julie London cover and stuff. So I ended up taking those off just because it would be way too much Quinn. 
Um, but overall, pretty good. It's pretty good. I think it ended in a good place. It went through some struggles, but I think we ended up with something pretty good here. I agree. I agree. Welcome back for the fifth time, the great Tim Barry. Come on, Quinn. Impressions for the third time, uh, Mighty Mighty, Spade and Whitey. Uh, St. Paul and the Broken Bones for the second time, Like a Mighty River. And Chris Christopherson for the second time with Quinn the Eskimo. Great cover. I don't know if you enjoyed that cover or not. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was cool to have an acoustic version of it. But, I mean, uh, it was probably my least favorite version if we're counting it a version for sure. Yeah. Well, it's very serious and very dour. It's like trying to make it serious when it's like, yeah, I think he did a good job with that. But whatever. Welcome to, for the very first time, Manfred Mann, of course, with the Mighty, with Mighty Quinn. Uh, and it, it it was influential enough, least we forget, that this song is called Quinn the Eskimo, hyphen, or um, parentheses, the Mighty Quinn, only because of Manfred Mann, who changed it to Mighty Quinn. So Bob later was like, I got to draw the distinction between the two. So oh, it yeah. kind of became uh, a life of its own. And really, I mean, for a lot of people, it's his song. It's kind of like Mr. Tambourine Man with the birds. Some people to this day prefer that song because it's like the first time they heard Dylan or the first time they heard Mr. Tambourine Man. And it's so iconic and so like the birth of folk rock, right? That this one is like so such a great version of it uh, that you don't get a whole lot of Dylan version. So it becomes kind of the de facto version. Or like the um, the animal yeah. song, whatever it is. What's the one? Oh, House of the Rising Sun. Sure. Yeah. Which I mean, wasn't really Dylan's to begin with. Yada, yada. But still, it's just like that's the version for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Foxing, Inuit. That was great. Yeah. That was amazing. They're like a, they're like a more tolerable version of the fray. Wow. It's great. Yeah, but with like screaming and sort of uh, yeah. way well, more what I mean. Like more integrity, like more interesting music, better. But it definitely gave me fray vibes. Did it give you fray vibes? That's very strange. Uh, Lush Life Project, Budapest Eskimos. Uh, this is only a couple of years ago. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, I wish that album was better. I mm. they were one of my like favorite things from a long time ago. I was like, oh, and I went to take a look, listen to that album. I was like, oh, no. this really misses a lot of stuff for me. But this song's good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, Little Sims, One Life Might Live, uh, from last year. Who the I never? How have I never heard about this person? Oh my god, the song's incredible. And you know we love a British rapper. It's one of our favorite things. Totally, yeah. So this came out last year during the quarantine. So she put it out like. April, I think. So, yeah, just a little six song. And also really short. Reminded me a lot of No Name, where it's like, oh, my God, this is just like yeah, totally. quick ass, like done, we're out. But she does have a full Definitely going to be listening to her. So that was excellent. Yep, perfect. Uh, and then I've never heard of Princess Nokia. Uh, Kaylee, I have, but Harley Quinn is the name of the song. Princess Nokia, that was kind of a, a miss for me. Uh, the Kaylee yeah. one was a little bit better, but two Harley yeah. Quinns. I mean, I know we're in a Harley Quinn renaissance of sorts with Birds of Prey, but uh, uh, too much, too much Harley Quinn. Yeah, the um, the Princess Nokia, not Tough. not familiar. Tough. I'm not familiar, but um, remind me a lot of Crayshon. Remember the summer of 2014 where Crayshon was very important. Going ham, going ham. Oh That's her. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so now you put you put Sylvester on there. You might you make me feel mighty real. Gay anthem, baby. Going through a thing, too. They just re-released that album oh. for like the 50th anniversary or something. And Pitchfork did a huge write up of it. They were like, this is like an unsung classic of the 70s of disco. So it's funny because only a couple of days ago I added it to my 70s playlist. I was like, oh, huh. I'm going to check this out because, you know, disco gets a short trip and I'm like. Every time I listen to this stuff, I don't actually fucking I don't hate it. And we've talked about being conditioned to hate it and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and I think that's definitely part of part of it for me. Roy Brown was awesome. Mighty Mighty Man uh, makes me think that I'm in Fallout, which I haven't uh, played absolutely. in a long time. 
And you're probably now at like level 107,000. I'm a level 127, I think. Although, listen, oh my gosh, when I was playing the other day, I saw somebody that was over 1,000. And that was the first time I've seen that. And I was like, oh man, (laughs) that is too high. I I didn't realize you could do that. Uh, But yeah, so I I was playing it every day, which is why I got so like high up there so fast. And I finally, I beat the season so I can like finally stop playing every day because i was playing every day to get the points for the scoreboard oh. to beat the season i beat the season and so now i'm just gonna play my guitar and go back to my life before i had this compulsion until the next season start which is gonna be like the end of march oh okay well, that's kind of a nice way to play uh jefferson airplane weirdly for the first time eskimo blue day that was good that's good that was great and hum the inuit promise which i thought was a pretty good yeah. end as well uh some nice spacey rock music yeah there was that other podcast that did that thing about the deftones or whatever and mm. that that was cited as one of their influences was hum hum yeah. really uh that well because yeah hum has the album with the zebra on it that's uh, just like a field of green with the zebra and that was one-to-one the white pony cover they did that on purpose it was a okay. an homage to hum's album i can yeah. kind of hear it too i wish i knew more about the deftones i hope that podcast is still going well <laughs> i think i vaguely remember some of this uh kelly we were also people in the world this week for this episode mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what were you doing that um warrants any mention uh forever to be put on a podcast that will be listened to hundreds of years in the future hundreds um as a totem for what's going on in the world in 2021 people are going to listen to this and say what was it like to live what was it like to live in 2020 bold of you to think that there'll be a civilization in hundreds of years bold no no it might be aliens it could be anyone oh yeah that's right we are just like Shooting into the void, all this garbage to just travel the universe forever. Sure, this is out there right now on its way to Saturn. Someone's going to hear it and be like, ooh, Bob Dylan. Who knows? Who knows what? I could have changed galactic history already, and I don't even know it, and wow. I never will know it. You too. You're a part of galactic history right now. That adds a lot more pressure to this. It does. So, so what <laughs> would you? What do you recommend, Galactic Warrior? Oh, God. Uh, Seisha had never seen Hook, and it's recently been added to Netflix. <laughs> Galactic Warrior says Hook. Uh, I gotta say, it does. Robin Williams, Hook. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Robin Williams. Robin Williams, okay. Dustin Hoffman. Hook is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you think Hook is awesome. Um, uh, so here's the thing. Well, I'm never gonna watch it. So. But you've seen. I it think it's awesome. As a child, of course I've seen right. it. Yes. Okay. So here's the thing, and this is the problem with everybody that's like, oh my god, you've never seen X, especially when stuff from your childhood because Stacia was like, the reason I don't want to watch this is because there's no way it's going to be as good as you remember it being. And I was like, you're absolutely right, but we're still going to watch it. So uh, I did. And yeah, I got to say, every it's not great. Uh, it's way too long, especially sure. for a kid's movie. It's like over two hours. Uh, Robin Williams, I'm going to say, controversial opinion, hot take, horribly miscast because he spends the majority of the movie being a dickhead and you don't want him to be a dickhead pick someone else because the entire idea of it is that he softens right he turns back into peter pan Mm -hmm. he becomes like a funnier nicer person pick someone who's already a dickhead there had to be someone around in the 80s that could do comedy but mostly was a straight man that would have been way better for the role than him terribly miscast um Rufio's like the only shining moment and even he like he dies unceremoniously they don't really even talk about it. he just dies and like yeah fighting continue it's just like it's really not good. Does not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, he's the only thing worth remembering because his costume is amazing. Um, but yeah, I got to say, Hook is not great rewatching it as a 30 year old. On your recommendation, I watched the Barbecue Cook Off show 
on Netflix. Oh, fuck yeah. Uh, it was great. You're right. Totally heartwarming. Very much more heartwarming than any other, I think, American reality show that I've watched, other than making it with uh, Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler. That was also oh, very right, soft right, and gentle. That's on Hulu. On the NBC sitcom rotation, I finished 30 Rock. I'm on a community now, just so everyone knows. Um, I don't think wow. I've mentioned this yet. Station, I've been watching Cougar Town. Did I mention that already? The only reason I can get my head around you guys watching Cougar Town is that you're doing research to better understand this 15th watch yes. through of Community is to really get into the mind of Abed, who loves Kim- Cougar Town. It was on Cougar Town, at least we forget. I've Spence, watched so. the scene that Abed is in on YouTube that's in Cougar Town, but I know when the episode comes, I'm going to miss him in it because he's just in the background. But hopefully, I'm really hopeful that I'll be like, Dan- Danny Pudi, oh my God, there he is, there he is, so... We'll see. I don't know when it happens, so it's going to be a surprise. But uh, yeah, Cougar Town is fine. It's very much like Scrubs, but for some reason I find it not. I I watched all of Scrubs, and I don't even know. I can't say definitively that I like it, but I have watched it all, and I have watched it all more than once. So I think that's kind of the joke on Community, too, is that is this any good or not? It's just funny that Abed would love it, and that's why it's funny. And that's honestly the reason why I have good feelings towards Cougar Town. I yeah. wouldn't think about it at all, but I only like it because Abed likes it. Yeah, I've totally. The frame of it, I don't know anything about it, but I'm sure it's a competent sitcom. But it's just that it's a sitcom. It's like a it's something Abed would love, right? A generic boilerplate feel good sitcom. That's how yeah. I see it. I guess I just don't know what it's about, but you know, Abed would love it, but I don't think I would like it. A, a, a regular community watcher probably wouldn't like. Oh, I agree. It, yeah, yeah. Right. Again, I don't think I like it, but I am yeah. going to keep watching it. Well, no, I think so. you should. You need to do it for research, honestly. Like, after this yeah. many community watches, you kind of need to interact with... Like, you should watch my dinner with Andre. You gotta, like, watch all of the references. Well, it's gonna happen because I'm on, like, episode 15 of the first season already, so... Incredible. So, I started watching Space Force, also. I had stayed away from it because I heard bad things. Steve Carell. Mm-hmm. Greg Daniels. Steve Carell. Oh, okay. Um... Greg Daniels, who uh, produced, co-created, co-produced The Office, right? I mean, I guess he didn't create it because Correct. the UK, Ricky Gervais created it. But, but the creator of The American Office. Right, right, right. With Ricky and all of them, yeah. Um, I have to say that I think the lack of Mike Shore is very obvious. It's really missing that, that like, cognitive awareness of social stuff and... and and it's just not that funny. Like, I never laughed out loud once. Like, none of the jokes got there. I'm only on, like, the sixth episode, I think. But it's just, like, Steve Carell is, he's, like, almost Michael Scott, but not. Like, he's just, it's just the worst version of all of those character types. I'll never watch it. And it's a bummer. Yeah. And I just really wish, because I was hoping it would be a sci-fi show. And it's not at all a sci-fi show. And I think that's the problem. Like workplace comedy. I mean, I feel like they're just really... T- which some shows like need more of that, but I'm sure this one maybe needs less. And I didn't really listen to music other than I was listening to Queens of the Stone Age, just listening to all those albums again. I listened to a little bit of Tool and I finished Sifion's discography, but it was all stuff that I'd heard before because, oh, except for the new album, the The Ascension, yeah, whatever that's called that you recommended a couple of times. The Ascension. And that one was good. Yeah, The Ascension. Yeah, that's good. Anyway, what did you do? <laughs> I uh, I've been editing all week our episodes that you're listening to now. So the only reason they got done is because I did them now in this week. Wow. Thanks. I listened to a book called How to Disappear Notes on Invisibility in a Time of Transparency hmm. by Akiko Bush. Uh, very cool. I, th- I think you you probably would vibe on this a lot, too, which is like 
talks about a lot of stuff that I feel. I mean, I joke about being bad at social media myself. You are non-existent. Yeah. But I think that there's like an underlying philosophy even for both of us where it's like I think we're we're lurkers for sure. We're definitely on the Internet. We see enough stuff. But I, I do believe in stuff where like if I die, I want all of my stuff to go away. Like yeah. The right to death and the death of data. So it, it talks about a lot of that and just like our lives being so out there and what that means implication wise on our society so it's a cool like five five hour audio book that was really well done so i enjoyed that i read a book um by anna north called outlawed um and it was kind of a cool premise it has a really cool cover it's like a, a woman in a cowboy hat and like really bright kind of like pop art colors and stuff and i was like okay cool this one was like kind of blowing up i don't really read that much about like new books and i don't do a lot of new books but this one's pretty new and this one was cool it was like um i didn't realize but like the main character uh, is infertile, can't have kids. And it's set in like 1894, I believe. But it's like kind of the American West, but not really. And I can't tell if it's like another universe or not because mm. it definitely talks about the United States. But I don't know if like there's been a time shift or something. I don't quite know exactly where. But basically she joins an outlaw gang of other women that are barren. And um, they just rob banks and fucking nice. steal shit. And it's fucking awesome. And so it's it's just cool. Like this gender fluid stuff happening there's like a one city where they go to where the men dress as men the women as women and obviously like she sort of like to pass dresses up as a man just mm -hmm. to like exist in her everyday life but then she is a man dressing as a woman so it's like this on top of it and then there's a guy who's like been castrated so then it's like that talking about mas just the masculinity of a cowboy culture thing with somebody who, you know, is a eunuch basically mm. was also really interesting. So it was maybe too fast paced and kind of like ended very abruptly. Um, but it was really cool. Mm. I didn't know what I was getting into, but uh, it's kind of blowing up. So I recommend outlawed, you know, get on your Libby app, everybody and get to it. And then finally um, I continue with my uh, Roberto Bolaño first edition bullshit. Um, <laughs> so he just released a, a, well, I mean, he's been dead for 20 years now, but he, um, they just came out with a new no three novella collection called Cowboy Graves. Um, I don't know how many there could possibly be. I've said this before with every single one of them. Oh, this is the last one. This is the last one. Again, he's been dead for forever now. Um, but yet they keep they keep finding new stuff. Um, so it's it's pretty cool. The review in The New York Times was pretty interesting because they talked about it like a bootleg, like referring to it in like. You know, because you, you think about like an author, like you have their whole work and then all this stuff at the end of the day is just kind of puzzles. Right. Think about when Bob Dylan dies, like we're going to get all this art that we, you know, are basically going to have to start slotting in things we've never heard. We're hearing stuff today with his like copyright albums that we've never heard before. And so it's like it's kind of interesting, like because now we have this whole conception we have a whole conception of bootlegs and then we have to keep building upon that. And it's kind of like with Bolaño too, where it's like, we're kind of seeing these stories that we know so well in the later novels as sketches, basically as like the first drafts story wise. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool. And the review is kind of like, do we need this? Mm. Do we want this? And it's like, maybe not. But if you're a collect, you know, if you're somebody who's like obsessed, he's still a great writer and it's still worthwhile, but it's kind of like, it's worthwhile. Cause you know, this, version of a character in a story and it kind of fills in something in another story right and i think bob is a lot like that too you can kind of fill in stuff over time so i thought the idea of it being a bootleg was pretty cool so or i mean like all the yet. the print the print stuff right like all his like vault shit got released after he died so yeah totally same kind of thing totally but they're I mean, they're going to keep it coming out slowly but i i just wonder nobody's ever going to be like 
open the vault and have people just like ravenously go in there. So there is also a curation element to it too, right? Where you want to put out things and, and Dylan essentially has done that now twice over. He's like curated a version of 1970 with uh, the, another self portrait. And he's about to release now actually 1970, a bootleg called 1970, where it's just the 1970 sessions. Well, some of those sessions are already been released, right? So he's like slowly filling in the gaps, but we're not to the point where it's like, Here's everything we have of Bob Dylan in full. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> right. Because we listened to the cutting edge. That was work people had been, you know, laboring over for decades because they didn't know if there were actually really takes or if things were real or if this was real or if that was a thing. And then Columbia's just like, fuck it. Here's 16 discs. Go for it. You know, and and that confirmed what people have been working on their whole lives. And, you know, and it's funny because some of their information in the booklets are wrong, like the liner notes are incorrect and there's things that are (laughs) fucked up. It's like classic Bob Dylan dot com. Classic Bob Dylan because Bob Dylan in actual physical form. That's just like, yeah, this person wasn't there. It's like, no, he was there. We confirmed that multiple ways. It's like, "Ah, who cares? Who cares? You got the music, though, at the end of the day. Right. That's what you really want. Um, But anyways, yeah, it's, it's cool to have it. So I'm going to read it soon, but I, I love Roberto Bolaño and I'm starting my, my big Bolaño reread. So Nazi literature in the Americas is next. So I'll let you know when I get there. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, just look right in my face. I was born standing up and talking back. My daddy was a green eyed Let's pick some songs. Kelly, we've been picking randomly with words this year. So far, so good. I mean, Death is Not the End being the, the major exception. But this week really made up for that, I got to say. I What a great what a great song. What a great hey, week. Hey, Death is Not the End is not the fault of the system. The system is great. It just, the system is great. I blame Bob Dylan. I, I think that's pretty <laughs> irrefutable here. Uh, all right, Kelly, we're going to pick – you're going to pick five words at random – uh, we're going to see if any of those words pan out. If they do, I'm going to read you some of the lyrics at random and you're going to pick from a, an undetermined amount of options that I give you. So if, you know, last week was four options, I think the week before was three, um, uh, the week before was like 66 and I just manufactured a couple of them at random. So we're going to, you know, just make it up once again on the fly. So Kelly, you're going to randomwordgenerator.com. Your source for random words when you need them. Put a couple in your pocket and um, use them. You know, save them for a rainy, rainy day or a snowy day. Who knows? Catch a uh, random Kelly. word and put it in your pocket. Save it for a rainy day. Isn't that a song? And that's the theme song of <laughs> randomwordgenerator.com. Kelly, what's the first word? The first word is mention. Mention. M E N T I O N. Mention. Oh, okay. I'm not going to. Okay, mention. Let's see. I think mention's going to be pretty good here. Okay. Mention gives us three picks. What's next? Thin. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, so here's a great question for you. So thin is actually part of a song. It's the title of a song. It's in the title of a song. Does that give it extra weight? No, right? I I don't necessarily think so. There is one for thin. What's the next song? Crisis. Okay, so Crisis, we do have one. One song. So what's next? Solid. So, okay, so this is another one with a song title in there. Um, okay, actually, we might have to try something here. 
All right. So, so okay, hang on. So solid gives us two options. We might go to random.org one through five and pick which one of these. So what's the next okay. word? Shadow. The, literally another one that has. Nice. Well, okay. Well, then I think we got to go All with right. the song title ones because if there are three well, there's of them. Three, there's three song title ones. Yeah. You go to random.org one through five and give me the number. And just so you don't know, I'm going to move around these words into a new order so that it's not the one you just gave me. The answer is five. The answer is five. Okay. So that gives us three options. Solid would have given us solid rock in particular. Thin would have given us Ballad of a Thin Man, which was on Highway 61 Revisited. You remember that song. Um, Shadow would have given us the album Shadows in the Night, Bob Dylan's uh, 2015 album of standards. But here we're going to do mention. So this one gives us three for mention. I'm going to try to keep this vague because I, I think too much information is going to lead us astray here. So you never mentioned one time. Okay. Don't mention the lonely cell. Okay. All those people that you mentioned. I mean, I am intrigued by the lonely cell because that gives me seven curses vibes. I want a seven curses expanded universe song. I'm going to pick that one. We've listened to this one before as well. This is a cover. It's on self-portrait. We're back to self-portrait. Which kind of sucks, but... Take a message to Mary. Take a message to oh, Mary. Oh, all right. Yep. Yeah, this is a Muppet voice song. Okay. This right. is a Muppet voice song. So we're going to talk about this. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to talk about it next week. We're going to talk about the covers. So it's a cover. This song, is the so Copper we'll Kettle about... album, right? Self-portrait this is, is all copper, that. Okay. Copper right, Kettle. Right. And, and this it's is all this. coming back. It's all... and, <laughs> okay. So we're going there. We could have gone to Desolation Row, which would have been intense. Um, so maybe it's best that we didn't do that. Oh, but but uh, it's a good song. It's like 12 minutes long, though, isn't it? It's the long one, yes. But it would have been a good song, yeah. Kelly, I'll see you later. I'm just going to, you know, casually hang this up is this unfair. call now. This is definitely a one-sided relationship. See I don't like this anymore. See you next time for I'm taking message the podcast. to Take our message Goodbye forever. To Bye. Enoch. Asia, what did we do to him? White men. Oh, they are truly difficult to understand. They're as bad as a bear. Worse. <laughs> Much worse. Now we go back. We go back.